You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. If you have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 1 as we come to a close in our Advent series. And if you're uh, new with us this morning, you haven't been with us, or you just need a reminder, the word Advent, it's a Latin word that just means coming or arrival. And so pretty much since like AD 350, the church has been celebrating Advent. Um, it's a time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus uh, when he came as a Messiah in the manger. And then it's also a time where we look forward with great anticipation to a second coming when he's going to make all things right. I saw or I read a great quote this past week from Rich Vilotis who says, the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. That's what's the great news of Advent. Not that we're faithful in our waiting, but he's faithful in his coming. He's done it once and he's going to do it again. And so in the first week of Advent, um, along with churches throughout the world, we focused on this theme of hope, and the second week was peace, the third week was love, and this week we're going to focus on the Advent theme of love. And so I'm going to ask you, if you will, out of reverence for God's Word, let's stand together uh, as we read the passage for today. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through verse 55. I'm reading from the NIV translation, and if it interests you, the notes for the sermon today are on the Version Bible app. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Let's pray one more time. Father, we all long for love. Um, We long to be connected. We long um, to know that we are accepted, that we are forgiven. Um, I pray that right now that you would just help us through your Holy Spirit to feel all of those things. Um, I know that there's nothing that I can do at all to um, transform anybody's heart, um, but we desperately need our hearts transformed by your love. And so we ask that Holy Spirit, that you would, just in the short time that we have left in this service, that you would help open us up to your love, um, that this would not just be an information dump, um, but that truly we would experience you in, in fresh and profound ways. And as a result of receiving your love, Help us to be a church that's known for that and how we love one another and how we love those in our city. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Long before I preached from a stage as a pastor, I used to rock out on a stage as a singer slash screamer for the Williford Project. Um, I believe we have a picture that we can put on the screen. That's me on the right, guys. That is about 45 pounds ago. Um, And so if you think I'm skinny now... Should have seen me then. Um, so that's me. Jason Nicoli is there on my left. He is a member of our church, played rhythm guitar. And the story behind the Williford Project is really kind of this radical conversion. My sophomore year in college, um, God saved me. And because of the love that I experienced from him, I not only would start a college ministry where I could tell people about Jesus, but I started a band where I would literally sing about Jesus. And one of our most popular songs 
is a song called The Greatest Love Story, which is all about the love of God. And if you want it, I can actually play you an intro to that song right now. Um, did you? Okay. All right. So um, that's, that was enough. That's really all I was looking for. And so uh, it does not take much uh, to get me excited. So um, here's an intro uh, of The Greatest Love Story. Ready? Let's go ahead and cue that up. Wait for it. Here I come. Yeah. All right. Come on, John. It's the most excited I've ever seen John in a sermon. So, uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, if y'all are a good audience, I might do that scream for you at the end. I don't know. And so, um, I would never say that was a good song, but what I would say is that that was a song filled with passion. Uh, it was a song, if you heard the rest of the lyrics, was absolutely uh, drenched with this experience where I had encountered the love of God, where he had saved me. And, and therefore, as a result, literally, of what God has done, what started in my heart came out of my mouth. It's like I almost couldn't help but sing about the goodness of God. And the reason I share that with you is because... That is a picture of what's happening actually right here in Luke chapter 1. You can't see it in the text, but because Mary's heart has been so touched by the love of God, she can't help but sing about God. She can't help but declare and proclaim who he is and what he has done. And before we actually dive into the lyrics from Mary's song, I just want to set the context for you. Uh, Mary's most likely... 14 years old at this point. Nobody knows who she is. She's not famous, not prestigious, doesn't come from money, anything like that. But she's engaged to a good man named Joseph. And like many, you know, brides-to-be, she was obviously very excited. I mean, I would uh, imagine, you know, she's registered at Target at this point or Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, She, you know, is probably shopping at King David's Bridal for her wedding dress. She's updated her Facebook status. I mean, everybody's excited as she is counting down the days to be married. But then her life is interrupted. God interrupts her plans. And I wonder this morning, like, if you can say, like, yeah, I've been there where God has interrupted my plans. I know uh, for me, there has been times like this in my life where, you know, I kind of had my agenda. I had my goals. I had my dreams. I had my plans, my timeline. But then God interrupted. And this is what we see right here. Mary, right, she has an idea of what she wants her life and her future to be like. But then God sends the angel Gabriel and he says to her, hey, Mary, because you have found favor in God's eyes, God is now going to partner with you in bringing the Messiah into the world. Mary asks, how can this be? I'm a virgin. To which the angel responds by saying, well, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And he is actually going to, by his power, bring about this birth, the son of God into the world. I can assure you, if you think about this, and you put yourself in Mary's place, I can assure you she was not expecting this. Like when she woke up this morning, she was not anticipating that God was going to do this in her life. I mean, Mary's life at this point is now being turned upside down. And I want you to just think about this for a moment because, you know, in our life we look and we say, you know, it's a good thing to have the favor of God, right? Like we, we want that. It's like, man, I want the favor of God on my life. But notice here what happens as the result of God's favor being on Mary's life. As a result of her getting God's favor, her life did not get easier, but it got harder. As a result of her getting God's favor, she doesn't experience health or wealth or prosperity, but now her very life is in danger. 
Now, there are millions of girls uh, throughout the world and in America that, that, that every year get pregnant out of wedlock. And, and we may look at that and say, okay, that's a mistake or, or whatever. But in the first century, what you have to realize is, is to get pregnant out of wedlock or to have sex outside of marriage was literally, it was a death sentence. I mean, there was laws against this that, that, that could lead you to getting stoned to death. And so for Mary here, now her life is in jeopardy because God's favor is on her life. And even if her life is spared, we know her reputation would be absolutely ruined. I mean, can you imagine the conversation that Mary would have with her parents? Like imagine going to your parents and saying, Mom and Dad, can you sit down for a moment? I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it's God's baby. Like, how do you think that's going to go? Or how, imagine being Joseph. Like, Joseph loved Mary. He trusted Mary. Imagine her going to him and saying, babe, um, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. The Holy Spirit did it. Could you imagine that? Like, like that's not going to work on me. That's probably not going to work on you. And it didn't work on Joseph. I mean, he probably wanted to kill somebody, which is why God sent an angel to Joseph to also say, hey, hey, chill out. Like Mary's not lying. Like this is actually, this is actually happening. Like this is a legit story. Point I'm just trying to make is that listen, like Mary and Joseph, they had these plans, what they wanted life to be like, but here things are being flipped upside down. Like the plans that Mary had for her life have been shattered. And what I want you to consider is despite the risk, Despite the discomfort and the rejection that Mary is going to face, despite the fact that she's going to experience gossip and criticism and there's a lot of hardship she's going to endure, in chapter 1, verse 38, she responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. That is faith on steroids. God, I exist for your glory. I am your servant. So whatever it is that you want me to do, even if it inconveniences me, I will do it. Mary then heads off to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. The Bible says that whenever Mary got around Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped in her belly for joy. And as a result of this, Elizabeth then just affirms Mary. She, she tells her what the angel had already told her, that God's favor is on your life. And then it is from this experience that Mary begins to sing. It is from this encounter. She becomes overwhelmed with joy, and she breaks out into the very first Christmas song ever written. And if you look back with me in verse 46, here are her first lyrics. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Or your translations might say, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, I'm so excited right now, I cannot contain my joy. I have to express this excitement about what God has done for me. And so what does Mary do? How does she express her excitement? She literally opens up her mouth and she sings. She begins to declare. She begins to proclaim the goodness and the glory of God. I wonder this morning, can the same be said for you? I can, can, can you say this morning that, man, God has done something so incredible in my life that I cannot help but open up my mouth and proclaim the good news to others. Is it true of you that your heart has been so touched by God that, that it changes not only how you talk, but what you talk about? Now, earlier this week, I was sitting outside the crossing with Chris Collier, and we were talking, and this man approached us. And this man just so happened to be someone that, that about six weeks ago, I saw him outside of Chili's. It's a guy that, that our missional community used to work with out at Labor Park. And so we'd not seen each other in a while. And he said, man, I just got out of rehab. I've given my life to Jesus. I really am trying to follow him, but I just you know messed up again. Uh, he said, I'm not going to be able to pee clean. I, I know as a result of this, like I'm falling back into it, some of my addiction here, but I'm really trying to follow Jesus. But the man with my probation officer uh, gets 
gets word of this, which I think they already have, I'm going to go to prison tomorrow. So is there any way you could just pray that maybe somehow, some way that God would keep me from going to prison and that I could continue to surround myself with people that I know can stir my heart towards Jesus? And I said, yeah, I prayed for him right there. Adam was there with us, and, and we just prayed for him right there at the Chili's parking lot. And I had not seen him since then, but on uh, this past week, on Tuesday, I'm out talking to Chris, and here he comes. And I said to him, he said, man, when I saw you on the road, he said, I had to do a U-turn. I know it's illegal. I hope God will forgive me. But, but I had to come and tell you that God answered the prayer, that I didn't have to go to prison. He said, it's a miracle. And he said, I know that this is just a sign that God, that God hears, and he cares, and he sees me, and he loves. And he just went on and on and on. And why is that? Because as humans, we are made as emotional beings and we cannot not share good news with others. We can't help ourselves. This isn't just true when it comes to, to God. It's true in all of life. Think about for those of you who are sports fans. When your team wins the World Series or the championship, if you're truly a sports fan, what do you do? You tell people, you, you talk about it, or you tweet about it, or you post about it, or, or I mean, you'll, you'll talk to anybody who cares to listen, and sometimes you'll even talk to people who don't care to listen. As a Cardinals fan, I could have cared less about the Cubs winning the World Series years ago, but we had enough Cubs fans in here who would just continually bring that up to me as if I wanted to listen. I didn't care, but it didn't stop them. Absolutely not. Why? Because for them, it was good news, and good news is meant to be shared. Like, well, I'm not a sports fan. They don't relate to me. Okay, well, how about those of you who have kids? Did anybody have to teach you how to talk about your kids with other people? And you look at your Facebook pages and your Instagram pages, my guess is most of those pictures are of your children. Right? You want to tell people about your children. You want them to celebrate your children. You want them to come to your kids' graduations or, or birthday parties. You will talk to your kids to complete and total strangers. Why? Because whether it's your kids or a sports team or a TV show or a workout scheme or a meal that you ate, we have to talk about what it is that we truly love, introvert or extrovert. And why is that? Because in Luke 6.45, Jesus says this, listen, from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, you want to know what somebody really loves? You want to know what somebody really cares about? Pay attention to what they talk about. That might, I just want to ask you kind of a sobering question this morning. As you consider what you have been talking about with others, is it clear that you love God? As you think about what you talk about with your spouse, your kids, the people at work, strangers, would they be able to conclude that your heart has been captured by God? For some of you in here, if you can be honest this morning, the answer to that question is no. Nobody could tell. For others in here, I, I think, you know, maybe you would say, um, you know, like, yeah, like, I, I love God, but I do need my love for God to grow. And I want you to know, like, wherever you are today, whether you come in here and you're like, I, I don't think I, I love God, or maybe I do love God, but it needs to grow. Listen, I want you to know this. However you come in the room today, like, you're welcome here. We've said this a bunch, like the crossing is a place where you can belong before you believe. This is a place where you don't have to love God before we first start loving you. I want to be very clear on that. But what I also want to say is this, if you do not truly love God, you will give your love to a lesser thing. Whether it be your reputation or your kids or your money or your popularity or your success Though none of those things are wrong, in fact, all of those things are good, 
The truth still remains that if you love someone or something more than you love God, please hear me from personal experience, that thing will disappoint you, it will discourage you, and eventually, if you keep giving all of your love and affection, it will drive you into the ground. I remember whenever my uh, daughter was born, our first kid, I honestly thought my life was over. And I don't say that with, with pride, um, but I was so anxious. I was so overwhelmed. And it was because my life suddenly centered around this girl. And therefore, as a result, what was meant to be a blessing had become a burden. What was meant to be a gift from God, I'd kind of made a, a God within itself, a little G God. And as a result, it began to rob me of joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment. And and there are other examples I could give you of times when this had happened in my life. But here's what I want you to know, that if you're truly going to have joy, if you're going to have peace, if you're going to enjoy even the simple pleasures of life, it is paramount that God comes first. It is paramount that, that, that God becomes the object of your love and your affections. And I know that as I say that, that sounds so elementary. You're like, I've heard that so many times, but here's the problem. You can't just make yourself love God, can you? I mean, there's no like love God switch that you can just flip on and it's like, boom, like now I just have this like incredible love for God. And so the question is like, how do we get there? If it's important that God becomes first in our life, that our love is set primarily on him above anything or anyone else, like how do we get there? How do we grow in our love for God? How do we have our affections stirred towards him? And though I could give you some really practical advice today, and I could say, oh, well, read your Bible and pray and practice a daily office and plug into community, and all of that's true, here's what I ultimately want you to see today. In order for you to have a deep, growing, vibrant love for God, do you know what you need? If you want to have a deep, growing, vibrant love for God, you first have to receive the love that God has for you. There is no other substitute. No other substitute. And here's the thing. No matter what the band does, and no matter what I do, or this church does, or anybody else, like we can't make you love God. You understand that? There's nothing I can do to make you love God. But here's what I can do, what I want to do today. I want to hold out God's love for you right now. And I'm going to pray as I'm even preaching, as I've prayed all week long, that somehow the Holy Spirit will actually make this alive in your hearts this morning. Maybe for some of you for the very first time. And as a result of you experiencing God's love, you will then be freed up to love him and to love others as you love yourself. And by the way, that's the whole point of the Christian life. Jesus says the whole law is summed up like this. You want to know the point of it all? Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so you want to know what the greatest test is to know if you're growing as a disciple of Jesus? Do you want to know how? Here's how you can know if you're growing as a disciple of Jesus. You're growing in love. You're growing in love for God, and you're growing in love for others. And if you really want to know, by the way, if you're maturing as a disciple of Jesus, you don't just love people who are like you. You don't just love people who are in the same stage of life as you. You don't just love people who have the same personality and the same sense of humor and the same likes and hobbies and all of those things, but you even love your enemies. Those who are difficult to be around. Those who can do nothing for you. That's a test of if we're really maturing and growing as disciples. And if we can be honest, guys, that's a little bit hopefully convicting for all of us. 
because none of us have the power to do this. And it is why we have to continually, as Jesus says in John 15, abide in God's love, be reminded of God's love, have our minds and our hearts set on God's love, because then and only then can we be freed up to love God and love others. And so with that in mind, look back with me, Luke chapter 1. We'll walk through this quickly this morning, but Luke chapter 1, verse 46 Mary's going to help us set our hearts on God's love for us. She says this, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. If I could summarize this, what Mary is saying is there's coming a day where people are going to say, Mary, you're so blessed. And she says, yeah, I am blessed, but not because I am mighty, but because God is mighty. Like, yeah, I am blessed, but not because I'm holy, because God is holy. Not because I am special, but because God is special. And look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, it would be easy for us in our quiet time to read verse 50 and just skip right past it. But if you were a good Jew living in the first century, when you come to verse 50, you would have stopped... And you would have remembered your story. You would have remembered the story of Israel and God's faithfulness to his people. And one of the passages of scripture that you would have recalled is Deuteronomy chapter 7. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you want to turn there, you can, but we'll put it on the screen. And here's what you have to see. Um, Deuteronomy 7 is one of those passages, one of the most famous passages actually in all of Israel's history that they would recall to remember God's faithfulness from generation to generation. And in the context of this, God is talking uh, to Moses about the people of Israel. And here's what he says. Listen to this, because what is true here is also true of us. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now, don't miss this, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he chose you. Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from a land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you catch what God just said? What he just said, and the reason we have to get this, is God did not choose you because you're impressive. God has not set his love on you because of something that you have done or because you have it all together. Do you remember whenever you were a kid and you were on the playground and you would play kickball or wiffle ball or basketball or whatever it may be, and they would pick teams, right? You'd have team captains. And when you had team captains, the best would get picked first and the worst would get picked last. And it all had to do with your abilities. And listen, though the world thinks this way, God does not work this way. Like God is not trying to build some team that makes up for something that he is lacking because God is lacking in nothing. God says, when I choose my team, when I pick people to be in my family, I don't pick the brightest. I don't pick the most attractive. I don't pick the most spiritual. I don't pick those who seem to have it all together. But what God wants you to know today is this. When God chooses people, he says, when I set my love on people, I set my love on them, not because of what they've done, but simply because of who I am. How amazing is that? That when, when God looks at Israel, and when God looks at Mary, and when God looks at you, 
He doesn't love you because you're awesome. He loves you because according to 1 John 4, 8, he is love. That's who he is. And therefore, it's from who he is. That's just what he does. He sets his love on you. John 3, 16, which Karen read earlier, is most, probably the most well-known known verse in all of the Bible. And it says that God so loved the world. Don't you love that it doesn't just say that God loved the world? It says God so loved the world. I remember that before my wife and I had kids, I would watch as all these parents would do weird things with their kids, kiss all over them and hug on them. And I thought that's, you know, these kids have these like these snot rockets, you know, like coming out and they're just still like kissing on them and hugging them and wiping their nose for them. And then like, you know, and then they're, 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 they're cuddling and they're making these, these faces and these embarrassing voices. And I made a promise to myself, I will never do that. But then what happened? My wife gets pregnant. Three different times, actually. And these kids start coming out of her that look like us, and they depend on us. And before my kids ever did anything but poop their pants and cry at all hours of night, I was crazy about them. Crazy about them. I began to, to kiss them and hug them and cuddle them and wipe their bottoms and make those little silly, crazy little voices that I would never do in front of y'all, but I would do just with my own children. And what's crazy to me is like that even to this day, though they make so many messes and they are needy and at times just plain weird, my love has done nothing but grow for them. Not because of their worth, but simply because of their birth. Because they're my kids. They're my kids. And what's incredible is that as much as I love my kids and as much as you love your kids, do you realize that our love for our children looks like hate compared to God's love for his children? That's how much he loves you. God so loves the world. And how do we know? Because he gave his only son so that whoever believes, not whoever earns it, not whoever deserves it, but whoever believes will have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why does God want you to love your enemies? Why does he command that you love your enemies? Because this is what he's done for you. It's a picture of the gospel. When you were still rebelling against God, he was loving you. When you were being hostile to him, whenever you were, uh, were, were being apathetic towards him, he was loving you. The Bible is clear that whenever we were at our absolute worst, God gave his absolute best by giving us his son, Jesus. Think about that. Before you ever lifted a finger for God, while you were still being a jerk, God was loving you. While you were still being an inconsistent husband or inconsistent wife, God was loving you. While you were still looking at porn, while you were still drinking too much or eating too much or sleeping too much, God was loving you. And the truth is, no matter who you are, where you come from today, God is still loving you. You say, well, how can I know that? Because over and over, here's what the Bible tells us. Listen to this. God's love for you is not contingent on you having your life together. But rather, God's love for you is contingent on him simply being who he is, which is love. I know we have a lot of parents in here who do the Santa Claus thing. I respect you for that, by the way. Um, some of you think I'm a Santa Claus hater. I'm not a Santa Claus hater. Um, but I want to encourage you this year, if you do Santa Claus with your kids, that's great. Go for it. But make sure your kids know 
that God's love for them is way greater than Santa Claus's love for them. Like, you owe that to your kids. Um, I think of the lyrics, Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, can we put this on the screen? Just think about these lyrics for a second. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to town, baby. Hey, you sad? You broken hearted? Well, you better put on a happy face. All right? Because Santa's watching. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Let me say this. According to the scripture, we have all been naughty way more than we've been nice. I remember when my daughter was in kindergarten, she, they had Santa Claus come to their school, and she came home, and her and her brother Wyatt got in a fight, and she said, well, you know what? If you're bad, Santa Claus is going to give you presents. And I said, baby, if that's the way it works, y'all blew it a long time ago. Like, none of y'all are getting presents. <laughs> the truth is, we've all been naughty way more than we've been nice. Let's go to the next, next slide, next lyrics. This is where it gets a little creepy. <laughs> he sees you when you're sleeping. Get a visual of that. Better shut your blinds. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for what? For goodness sake. Let me tell you the difference between Jesus and Santa. Jesus, or Santa says, I know if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Jesus says, I know all of you have been bad. I'm going to become be good for your sake. See the difference? That's the gospel. I know you can't fulfill the righteous requirement of God. I know you'll never make every shot. I know you're going to keep screwing up. I know you're going to be a failure at times. And and so here's the deal. I'm going to come and live a perfect sinless life on your behalf. You could never live fulfilling the righteous requirement of God. I'm going to then go to the cross and shed my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm going to raise from the dead so that you can now receive the one thing that you need the most, which is the love of God for all eternity. When Santa comes to town, he says, I'm going to give presents to the deserving When Jesus comes to town, he says, I'm going to give God's presence to the most undeserving. See the difference? Guys, this is the Christmas story that we have to tell over and over and over, and not just to those people, but to ourselves. It's the good news of the gospel, that the greatest gift we could ever receive is God himself. And this is a gift, right, that unlock all the other gifts under the tree. It is a gift. God's love is something that will never break. It will never deflate. It will never fade or ever go out of style. Every year, our family puts up this Christmas bear, which I think I can put on the screen for you. There it is. You guys heard me talk about the Christmas bear before? Um, when I see this bear every year, I think about one of the biggest fights my wife and I ever got in, or we'll call it an argument. Or how about a spat? We'll call it that. So you guys don't judge me. Just a little spat, biggest spat we ever got in. Um, and bought this bear 50% off at Lowe's. You can do that the day after, by the way, if you get there early enough. Um, waited a whole year to put this thing up, was excited, blew it up, surprised the kids. They were pumped. Well, Go to bed. Next night, we wake up. Someone had slit the Christmas bear's throat. You didn't know the story was going there for some of you, did you? 
Welcome to reality. So, um, so uh, it's just out there blowing, you know, it's just blowing, but it's all like messed up. And so I turned, the, turned it off and tried to patch it up, couldn't do it. Uh, apparently duct tape doesn't fix everything. And so I'm running late for work. I'm cold. I, we were also at that time, um, and we, we know that I'd passed a bleeding disorder on to my, uh, our middle son. We were two weeks away from having our third son. Moses was going to be born. And we were trying to get answers from the doctor of like, what do we need to do to make sure the delivery is safe and all these different procedures and things like that. And, and they had called us that day and we thought we were going to get good news. They're actually like, we have no answers for you. We don't know what's going on. And clearly something's up, but we don't know what to tell you. So not a great day, but I thought, you know what? Here's the good news. My wife has promised she's going to be making me my favorite meal tonight. At the time, it was soup, beans, and ham and homemade cornbread. So I show up at the house thinking, you know, not been a great day, but this is going to fix everything, right? Until I walk in the door, my wife informs me that the ham she was going to cook with was expired. Um, someone just goes, oh, uh, thank you for feeling my pain. I feel seen by whoever did that. I would like to say in that moment that I loved my wife as Christ loved the church, but I didn't. Um, I had what I would call my own dumb and dumber moment, right? Where it's like, uh, we got no food. We got no answers. Our bears had it falling off. And I just begin to rage. I didn't hit my wife. I didn't throw anything at her. Uh, but I let her know that because of her performance or lack thereof, that I wasn't happy. And, and for me, kind of the way that, that works is I just kind of give a cold shoulder the rest of the night, kind of sulk, pull away. And as I... I look at that bear now, and as I think about this text, I just think to myself, like, man, like, isn't it such good news this morning that the love God has for us, that his love tank, it never runs on E. That, that his love for us is not determined by our performance or our lack thereof. Do you realize that when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you're married to him? You're married to him. You're entering into a covenant relationship with him where he is always to you the way you want him to be the bible says that, that actually think about this and hosea says that whenever we sin against god you know what they compare sin to in the book of hosea what god compares sin to in the book of hosea anybody read it what does he say it's like adultery it's like literally whenever we sin it's like we have an affair on god and we do that every single day. And here's what's incredible. Here's the kind of husband Jesus is. Unlike me, if Jesus goes off to work and he comes home and you have cheated on him over and 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 the kids are going crazy and the house is a wreck and you've messed up the dinner, he still says, you know what? I'm going to keep loving you as you are, not as who you think you should be. I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to keep loving you, showing you compassion and forgiveness and mercy and grace over and over and over and over and over. And there's nothing you can do to change that. This is what Mary is getting at in verse 54 and 55. When she says that God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to his ancestors. Why is Mary here talking about uh, how God is merciful to Abraham and his descendants? Because if you've ever read Israel's story, you know they are faithful one minute and a disaster the next. I mean, they are flaky, they are inconsistent, they are rebellious, they are weak, they are fragile, they fail over and over and over. And what is God through all of that? Consistent, constant, faithful, pursuing with a never given up, always and forever 
love. This is what Mary is trying to point us to in verse 54 and 55. She's saying, this is what God is like, not just for Israel, not just what he's like towards me, but it's what he's like towards you, that even when you are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Despite the fact the Bible says, even on our best days, we are deserving of hell, God's love is never ending. It is unwavering. It is steadfast. It is relentless. And so here's what I want to ask you as we leave today, or as we close today. Have you received the gift of God's love? I'm not asking, are you serving? I'm not asking, do you give financially? Have you been baptized? I'm not asking any of that. But have you actually opened up your heart to God's love? And if not, what are you waiting for? Years ago, I read a book by Brennan Manning called Ruthless Trust. And he tells a story about a time that he was behind a Buick and he saw a man throw his dog out the window. Pretty sad thought, right, An image. And he said, what makes it even more sad is this dog, obviously broken and bloodied, gets up and begins to run towards the car, towards the very people who had tried to hurt it. And what Manning goes on to say in his book is that that actually pales in comparison to the love that Jesus has for us. In the fact that because of sin, we all deserve to be thrown out of the car. We all deserve to be thrown out of the family. And yet, what the gospel tells us is rather than God throwing us out, he was thrown out on our behalf. Jesus was thrown out on your behalf and my behalf. He went to the cross and he was broken by the wrath of God and he was bloodied for the forgiveness of your sins. And today, despite the fact that we continue to drive away towards lesser loves, he continues to pursue and continues to run after you. Question is today, again, have you received this love? Have you received this love? The fact that you are here right now and you are hearing the gospel again is a reminder that God is still pursuing you and still loving you. So have you stopped running? Have you become like the prodigal son who who came to a spot where he says, you know what? Like, actually, I recognize now that my father's love is better than my father's gift. Being in his presence is better than chasing after all of these things out here. And therefore, I am going to return back to him and know that when I do, that he is going to meet me there, not with a, a look of condemnation, but a compassion and open arms where I can receive his love. Have you come to that place in your life? Do you need to come back to that place again today? truth is you can receive the whole world but if you do not receive the love of God you have nothing you have nothing and therefore with all the love that is in my heart today I want to encourage you today look to God receive his love and here's the good news you don't have to earn his love again you don't have to deserve it you simply need to admit that you are broken to admit that you are a sinner to to admit that even the Bible says your righteousness your good deeds are as a filthy rag before God and therefore even on your best days you still stand in desperate need of the grace of God Can you do that today? Or is that beneath you? This is what Mary is trying to to end with in in, in verse 52 and 53 where she says that God brings down the mighty from their thrones and he sends the rich away empty. Why would God send the rich away empty? By the way, if you're in America, we all kind of fall into that category. We're all rich. So that's a startling line. Why would God ever send the rich away empty? Well, it's not because God doesn't love the rich. It's just that oftentimes when you're rich, it's hard to see your need for God. 
When you're rich, you feel like you have everything you need. And listen, what that means is that, that, that you actually don't have the one thing that God needs from you, which is your own neediness. In Revelation 3.17, God says this, or Jesus says this, You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. With that said, as we end the day, man, my prayer is that for some of you, whether you're here or listening online, that you would just maybe for the first time ever admit that you are needy, admit that you are poor, admit that you are broken, and that you would go to God with the empty hands of faith and receive the love that he has for you, that you would believe by faith that, yes, I'm far worse than I could ever imagine, but I'm more loved than I ever dreamed. And in faith, you would receive that love. You know, the truth is, we are just around the corner for 2022. And it's always, it's kind of God's common grace that he gives us this calendar where it feels like a fresh start every year. Like, oh, good. Like, it's a new year. And I'm looking forward to 2022. I think it's going to be a good one for us, good one for our family, good one for our church. I think 2022 is going to be a great year. But I also believe it's going to be a hard year. And as I look out, you know what's going to happen in this audience? It happens every year. Someone's going to get bad news. Someone's going to get a phone call. Someone's going to experience the loss of a loved one. Somebody's marriage in this room is going to, be, is going to fall on hard times. Kids are going to go wayward. Stuff is going to happen in 2022 that is going to feel like a punch to our soul. And I'm telling you right now, the only thing, the only thing that is going to get you through 2022 and beyond is the love of God.